everyone, and welcome back once again to the Core Console RX podcast. My name is Mike Corvino. With me, as always, my co-host Cole Swanson. How is everyone doing today, Cole? How's it going? Doing great. Acne uh, round two now, I guess. And if you count today, it might be round seven, I think. Yeah. So here's a cool story. We actually (laughs) have already recorded this podcast, episode eight, but now it's lost the time. Because, contrary to popular belief, I'm actually not a audio engineer, and I completely wrecked the audio from last time, and it was not salvageable. So maybe one time, sometime in the future, when we have a core consult RX like um, archive of hundreds and hundreds of episodes, we'll release this one as like a, a little um, Easter egg. Yeah, that way know? we can lose all of our followers right. immediately. <laughs> When they hear how bad the audio You'll is. You'll be loyal by that point, yeah. so maybe we won't lose you. You're just going to be like, wow, they went in a completely different direction. <laughs> they overlapped their sounds. They didn't make sense. <laughs> it was terrible. But I, the thing is, is I bought this big fancy mixer, and it's got a ton of knobs. Where my last little interface had two knobs, and that was very easy to just plug and go. Google, look up how to use it. This thing. It's just the. It sounds better, but it's just the worst to have. So if you're if you're an audio expert and um you like working for free <laughs> especially <laughs> if you like working for free <laughs> let us know because we need one because yeah we've wasted a ton of time so apologies to uh our good buddy morgan who was kind enough to record the episode with us and uh now she is off in where colorado mm-hmm, i think, I think so. um, colorado uh on rotation so we'll have to get her back on yeah we'll get her back uh, when she gets back but it was a great episode you guys are gonna have to take my yeah. word for it on it the bright side this will solid. be even better because we've already done it once money back guaranteed of course it was over a week ago so i don't remember what we're gonna <laughs> right. say so once again we're gonna wing it great start excellent yes so what, which rotation are you on right now um i'm on a psych rotation how's it going it's very interesting the patients are fascinating um, I haven't really had a specialty rotation like this yet, so um, definitely getting a lot of exposure to the psych meds. Maybe we'll do a um, like an antipsychotic or bipolar podcast uh, coming soon. Who knows? Yeah, that'd be good. Just we because it's, do that. it's in the brain. So very, very interesting patients, very interesting medications too. So yeah, yeah we'll see. For sure, we Stay should definitely tuned. do that. The, uh, you'll, you'll probably notice that, especially going forward, I think based on the rotations that Cole has or the particular part of the lecture that I'm at with the PA school, they will probably mirror that. Go and inside. That's, yeah. And that's because we don't want to write two different sets of material. <laughs> right. And so we're just going to write the one. We work smart and hard. We and do both. hard. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of which, how was the vacation? It's good, man. It yeah. was really good. We have not, like I was telling you earlier, uh, Jen and I have not actually gone like on a true like vacation other than maybe we did one like weekend trip to Orlando a couple years ago but we have not been like a vacation vacation and like since our honeymoon which is like five years ago so that's ridiculous yeah yeah so you need more you need a little more vacations and he was working the whole vacation by the way don't don't let him make you think it was a true vacation no i wasn't working all that hard though it was mostly instagram and <laughs> core consult stuff it wasn't really anything actually work work related right this is all for fun yeah so we did go live on instagram which was pretty fun i hadn't really done much of that and i thought like so my buddy rich was with me and we both went live from our phones so, you know sitting next to each other and i thought we were literally going to get zero people because i was like who, i don't know why we think we're so fancy now we're going to go live and 
people are actually going to listen to us. Right. And because uh, we're like, oh, ask us questions if you have questions about pharmacy school or branding or you know whatever. And uh, we put this out there, and I'm like, this is going to be so embarrassing. We're going to have zero people even click on this thing. But we actually had a lot of questions, and it was actually really fun. So yeah. maybe you have to start. Is that archive? Can you still listen to that, or no. does it just go? Away? Well, you can because I have it filmed, but I haven't put it together yet. Gotcha. I'm slacking. On the pharmacy vlog situation. We'll get that done. You got plenty of content. We just got it. I know. I got like my good. like a whole hard drive full of just stuff I've filmed, random nonsense. But uh, a lot of it's pretty good. I just have to actually piece it together now, and I'm gonna get a lot more serious with the vlogging. I don't. Some people think that's not really gonna catch on, but um, we'll see. I feel like some of those videos, especially on Facebook, for whatever reason, have have caught on, like, it had the most views, and then some of the most views on uh, YouTube as well from all my stuff. Right. But we'll see. At least, if nothing else, it'll keep some interesting people coming around. <laughs> well, cool. Thanks for listening to our um, six-minute housekeeping anecdotes, guys. Yes. Six Keeping it interesting. minutes of non-medical <laughs> just talking. You got a break. Yes. You got a break. God. <laughs> all right, so. Anyways. I think before we kind of get started, because we don't have a guest today, obviously, mm-hmm. um, before we get started, we will uh, kind of go into a new section, if you will, a new uh, event that'll happen, mm, I don't want to say every podcast, because who knows if we're going to plan out we that far. We don't plan that far. <laughs> but we'll say we'll it, it'll be a new segment of some of the podcasts, mm-hmm. and it's called That Drug-Drug Interaction. So, the reason i bring this up is because morgan who was supposed to be on our uh podcast we with the original episode eight the lost episode <laughs> um she had called me that day actually from her rotation uh, i guess our preceptor had, was out sick or something and she was kind of by herself a little bit there's other pharmacists but not that were like directly supervising her and she had a question that her and some of the other pharmacists i guess she was working with were confused about because a patient uh, was on venlafaxine and then was also on Azelect for Parkinson's. Well, when they ran a interaction check, because they do that on all the medications, it came back as uh, anyone who is on a uh, MOIB inhibitor that they, or excuse me, MOAI inhibitor, mm-hmm. um, because it just says that by itself, that it's completely contraindicated with any kind of SSRIs or SNRIs. And so she called me asking about it because the doctor was trying to change it, but everything they were trying to put in the checker to change it to was still coming back with the same interaction because it's still affecting serotonin. So they were worried about uh, causing serotonin syndrome in this uh, this patient. Right. So the the thing about LexiComp, and you know I'm a huge fan of LexiComp. By no means I'm um, saying don't use it. I love LexiComp. Use it every day. But the interaction checker on there is. 99% of the time very accurate, but it doesn't always have the ability to differentiate between certain like subsets, I guess, of, mm-hmm. a, of a drug. Sometimes it's kind of broad. Right. Yeah. And so for this example, the MUI that it's referring to is the A version, which is what's responsible for breaking down uh, serotonin and norepinephrine. And so if you're giving that and you're inhibiting that process, that breakdown, and then you also add on something that it will increase serotonin levels as well, then we definitely run the risk of uh, serotonin syndrome. However, Azelect is specific for the MAOIB, um, which is where you are breaking down dopamine. 
And so that's why they're using it specifically in uh, Parkinson's. And so it's got a 14-fold more uh, affinity for the B receptor versus the A, uh, or subtype, not receptor. And uh, so when you block that enzyme, then you're blocking the dopamine, you're helping with Parkinson's symptoms, but there's many, many, many case reports of patients who are on that along with venlafaxine or duloxetine, uh, even regular SSRIs, and uh, having no problems whatsoever, not having any issues with serotonin syndrome. And so the thought is to monitor, and in most cases, though, that the benefit will outweigh the, uh, the risk that may not even be there based on kind of the medicinal chemistry of it. Right, and that was the MAOB component, right, yes. that adds like to axon. And if I remember correctly, I think the MAOA uh, component is what's responsible for breaking down um, norepinephrine and serotonin. Yeah. Um, and I think the B is also the tyramine component, which is why people who eat tyramine-containing foods who are on MAOIs, which is, I think, um, a nonspecific inhibitor, it inhibits both, mm-hmm. could have a hypertensive crisis, and that's, you know little trivia there for you to be aware of yes um and you know the reason i even bring that story up is not to call anybody out or say anything about any you know any interactions or anything like that but it's mostly just because sometimes that you really do need to use clinical judgment primary literature to come up with a answer to the the problem because the lexicomp you know it's not going to be able to differentiate those two and they probably wouldn't anyway for liability reasons right but uh, we do have primary literature that shows us that we can do it. So it, it's definitely important to use your clinical clinical judgment and, and look for those uh, kind of special case scenarios and not just take everything that we read in an electronic reference um, to heart. Now, if it's this podcast, 100% yeah, right. take it to heart because it's fact. Perfect. Perfect fact. Maybe even law. We don't make issues. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Don't do any of that. <laughs> Grain of salt, everybody. Yes. Grain of salt. Don't sue us. All right. Cool. Um, so, in, in the other thing too, I'll add this is let, you know before we transition out of that case, or that segment, but uh, you know that that patient could have had a medication that was really helping her because she was stable uh, on the venlafaxine. She wasn't having issues with her depression. They could have had that stopped and switched off and had a medication stop that she was really helping her if they hadn't been aware of that interaction and had actually stopped it and started on something random. So the interactions, even when we're trying to actually help people can, can cause harm. So you got to make sure you got to make sure you're looking at them close. Mm-hmm. And if for all of you who are like first year pharmacy students or, you know, studying pharmacology somewhere in a PhD program and you're saying medicinal chemistry is nonsense and when am I ever going to use this? You're going to use it. There you go. So use your brain. Keep going. Cool. Well, you want to get into this? Yes. So today we are going to talk about acne vulgaris. Yes. Because I feel like it is a topic that we don't always touch on a lot when we're on rotations and things like that. Not too many pharmacists are doing like dermatology rotations. Right. Uh, so and it's usually kind of an afterthought because a lot of people have bigger issues going on, but it is a big issue for a lot of people and it's very ubiquitous. So um, it does apply. Especially, and here's the thing, like people like me who make my living off Instagram, you need to have right. <laughs> you gotta look good. Yeah. But this is a podcast, so you can't see it. Oh well. Yeah, you can. There's a video version. Yeah, but if you're listening, cool, forgot about the video then you, version. Then you can't see, you know, can't see yeah. all of our blemishes and whatnot. Yeah, which is good. But if you want to see blemishes, watch the 4K video. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> all right. So patient case. 
we have JB, who is an 18-year-old white female with a history of mild to moderate comedonal and papular postular fascia acne. Uh, she is currently using Tazerac 0.05% cream. Uh, she admits to limited adherence due to skin irritation from the medication, which is pretty common with Tazerac. Uh, she also is on a Lavora, uh, which is Lovonegrel and ethanol estradiol for birth control. Um, you note that her skin does seem to be somewhat oily, uh, which she says is, is fairly normal and something she has to combat. So where should we go as far as treatment? Should we just keep her on this medication? Um, you know, I want to walk through some of the different options yeah. and actually look at the evidence because there's actually evidence for acne. Yeah, they actually do studies. And, you know, first thing you want to look at is, okay, so what type of acne is it? Acne vulgaris is the most common type. Um, obviously, we see that she has comedonal and papulopustular. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of both areas that you want to treat there. And um, the um, comedo or the comedone, interestingly, um, comes from a um, word uh, that means to eat up, which is um, a name that they once gave to worms that devoured your body a long time ago. Um, and they think that that's because when you squeeze them, worm-like things come out. So that's kind of gross, um, as if acne wasn't gross enough. But uh, it's characterized by those two, comedone being um, the blackheads and um, papulo, um pustular being the kind of inflamed mm. um, type of acne. Yes. Um, I like how you said that worms back when they used to eat us up. Yeah, worms so don't they, eat us anymore. No, they stopped. <laughs> they went vegan. They're vegetarian. <laughs> they went completely vegan. They don't touch humans anymore. So that's nice of them. Yeah. So the, the big thing when you're treating acne and you're kind of going through like the algorithm and seeing what you're going to use, uh, obviously, is what type of, of acne. So is there is there more like just blackhead issues? Um, is there, you know, the comedonal? Uh, is there is there actually like inflammation and uh, pustules? Or is there even like cysts? Like you'll see hard, firm little nodules underneath the skin. And a lot of times they'll even follow like the cheekbones. And they can even be painful and and disfiguring and there's some cases where acne lesions will uh, get big enough or if the patient's scratching them then they uh, can actually leave scars that are permanent so we definitely do want to treat them and we kind of look at the severity of where everything falls in and and kind of judge our our treatment options Mm -hmm. and it um, of course it occurs as 85% of people know um, as an adolescent that's where Mm -hmm. it's most rampant um, and for the other 15%, I don't really like you very much. Uh, but it can um, occur post-adolescence and actually relatively Um But in your 20s, there's 43 to 51% or so amount of people uh, experience acne, and it kind of goes down from there um, until age 50 and older, still 7 to 15% um, of older adults experience acne. So it's it's not just in teens and adolescents. It goes throughout your whole life. Um, but the, um, the psychosocial, uh, mental stressful aspect is probably more prominent in the adolescence, I would think. Yeah, absolutely. And it's something that like, I know for me, like, I dealt with, I had horrible acne when I was a kid. I don't know if you had dealt with no, that. No, I, I was one that, that dealt with it for sure. Yeah, that was terrible. Um, anyways, so kind of walking through real briefly the pathophysiology before we get into the treatment mm-hmm. options. Uh, a lot of times acne will start um, with what they call follicular hyperkeratinization. 
and basically like a, a hair follicle pore um, will become clogged. These keratinocytes are uh, basically replicating and, and plugging this hole so that the, the sebum and things that are normally in there cannot escape. Uh, they get trapped inside there. Um, there is also bacteria on the skin called uh, uh, Propionibacterium acnes, um, which I believe, I don't know if it's been officially changed. Do you know? No, but, I don't I don't think it's been officially changed, but some people call it, what, C. acnes? Yeah, cutie bacterium acnes, yeah. um, which is cool. It's a cutie bacterium. Right. <laughs> it makes you cute. Yeah. You know that they're talking about? Cutaneous. <laughs> well, I, I think I it's the, the cute thing. Yeah, it can't be it. Yeah. So you block uh, that pore, the bacteria, which actually thrive on sebum, um, are able to use up this, this extra sebum production because your body just keeps making it. It's not able to escape the pore. And it, uh, the bacteria replicate and grow and then cause issues because your body will send cytokines and other inflammatory uh, mediators to that area to combat that bacteria. And then you get the, the redness and the inflammation and things mm-hmm. like that when the acne starts getting worse. Now, if the actual like pore, like the um, the lining of that of that pore actually bursts and all that uh, cellular component kind of spills out into the surrounding area, um, a lot of times it can cause major inflammation and even a hardness, which is where you, the cystic acne comes from. Uh, and there's there's various things that can cause like this increase in sebum production. Uh, there's some the uh, some studies have showed like a rise in DHEAs, uh, S levels can uh, increase sebum production, but really anything that affects like androgenic hormones. Mm-hmm. Um, and so androgenic hormones basically will stimulate the sebum production. And so we'll see this in like athletes who are abusing, uh, say anabolic steroids because anabolic will build up muscle and, uh, all that, but it'll also have androgenic properties where you get uh, excessive hair growth. Um, and then you'll see a lot of patients that have really, or athletes rather, that have a lot of uh, body acne because their body has a, such a huge overproduction of, of sebum, they're just really prone to getting it. Right. Um, you can also see it with certain birth controls that are more androgenic than others, hint, hint. <laughs> and uh, so there's, a, there's several things that can cause it, but um, that sebum production is what draws in the, uh, the bacteria and allows them to start replicating. Yeah, and that's what a lot of the over-the-counter therapies target is that um, sebum, but the soaps, detergents, astringents, they'll remove the sebum, but they're not going to actually decrease or alter the sebum production. Um, But there are other external factors that go into um, what might cause acne. Some are kind of theories. Some are a little more proven. Diet doesn't play actually as big as a role as I thought it did. Um, There are some studies that showed that uh, there's a correlation to milk consumption in acne, um, which a lot of people might say is due to, you know, hormones that they give the cows and whatnot. You know, the, the studies didn't really look at that, but um, they actually found that skim milk or low-fat milk was higher risk than 2% or whole milk. Um, Knew it. Right, exactly, which would make sense for the whole, even though I don't really get on board with the whole hormone thing, would make sense because the skim and low-fat milk is actually more processed than the whole milk or the 2% milk. So I don't know. Don't ask me about the the whole hormone thing. But family history plays a big role. Stress plays a big role. Insulin resistance um, can can make acne worse. Um, And then there's some studies that show that increased um, glucose intake can make acne worse. They really weren't sure if that was related to Maybe just an increased BMI, potentially increased insulin resistance instead of directly related to the glucose, but that's something to consider. So sodas, monster, 
might make it worse. Uh, there's no way Monster makes it worse. <laughs> I don't believe that. It's not evidence-based. Denial. Denial. So when we are giving a patient a topical medication, whether it's a retinoid uh, or some one of the topical antibiotics, whatever it is, um, we want to consider like the vehicle that the medication is actually put in. So we have all these different creams, ointments, gels, uh, et cetera, et cetera. We want to consider that vehicle and how it would affect uh, the patient. So in this case, a lot of times patients that have really dry skin or uh, you know, they just feel like they're constantly trying to use moisturizers, things like that. They'll benefit from a cream version of whatever drug you're trying to use. Right. So she's on a retinoid. Uh, you're giving a cream, but she has oily skin naturally. So it's it's kind of one of those things that you probably don't want to use a cream. You don't want to moisturize the face more if it's already oily. So in her case, a gel would actually be a little bit better. So a gel uh, a lot of times can cause uh, evaporation of the oil from, or the you know moisture from the skin, and um, your you know face can be a little bit drier looking. Uh, and so if oily skin is something you have to normally deal with, um, a gel would probably be a better option. Um, so as far as the tretinoids or excuse me the uh, retinoids go, we have three. We have mm-hmm. tre- tretinoin gave it away. Uh, we have adapalene, which is the uh, brand name Differin, um, and then the one that she's on currently is the Tazerac. Um, Tazerac has been kind of seen as the, the strongest of the three retinoids, but uh, has also been the one that has the most to- like topical irritation, and um, patients will complain about their, their skin hurting and things right. like that. So in this particular patient, I, I think that, one, I would want to change her to a gel version of what she's using. Um, but there's a study that was published in the Journal of Drugs and Dermatology in 2005, where they compared uh, Tezerac to Adapalene, um, and uh, there was actually the Tezerac was still a little bit better, um, and, but the Adapalene had less side effects. But the Adapalene that they used was the 0.1% version, um, and then kind of naturally you would expect Tezerac to be a little bit stronger because that would match with the meta-analyses and things like that. But in 2008, uh, in the same journal, there was another study published they looked at adapalene 0.3%, and they looked at the gel in particular, and found that it was non-inferior to the Tazerac 0.1, which is a higher strength than she's already on. Um, but the, the tolerance and all that uh, remained better and with the adapalene, and uh, patients didn't have as many side effects. Mm. So I think in this particular case, I think it would be a good idea to possibly switch her over to the adapalene 0.3%, uh, and change it to a gel instead of a cream. Sure. And um, as far as what you're thinking, when a patient comes in and you want to prescribe them something for acne, um, <clears throat> of course, the first lines are going to be those topical retinoids that he mentioned. Also, benzoyl peroxide is something else they could try if they haven't tried anything else. It's available over the counter. There's 25 3.5%, 5%, um, and even 10% over the counter. So you would, you would try one of those first before um, moving on to some of the other things we'll talk about that we may not necessarily do for this patient, but yeah, we'll especially talk about since it. she's already on therapy, she's been right. dealing with that for a while. Um, so uh, the other thing to consider is so retinoids are the go-to for comedonal acne yes. on those those blackheads. Now she also has uh, pustules, postules, and so we need to worry about uh, in- the inflammation from the bacteria causing irritation, uh, all those that cytokine release and 
in that case, we also would want to consider antibiotic therapy uh, because the the retinoids are, you know, you can still use them for that, but they're not as effective uh, in treating the actual inflammation aspect of the acne right. uh, as the, the the topical antibiotics and the, even the systemic antibiotics. Right. And so, and her, I would actually consider since she has like kind of what they, I guess they would refer to as like mixed acne where she's got kind of both scenarios going on i would keep her on the adapalene 0.3 percent that we just started and then i would also add on a um, benzoyl peroxide um, gel as well and that way she's covered from coming to both angles um, benzoyl peroxide is over the counter and uh, it comes anywhere from like 2.5 all the way up to 10 percent uh, i haven't seen any strengths higher than 10 uh, and there's stuff in the middle. There's five. And I think there's like random things like six and like 6.5 and, you know, who knows. But 2.5 to 10, I think it's the usual range. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a study way back in 86, 1986, where uh, it was the um, internal or International Journal of Dermatology, rather. Uh, and they compared all three strengths that were, were available at the time. So 2.5, 5, and 10 um, of benzoyl peroxide to inflammatory acne vulgaris. Uh, and they didn't see a statistically significant difference between those three strengths. Mm-hmm. So I think if the way to start off would be, especially if it's in on the face or anything like that, uh, would be 2.5%, maybe to 5%. But when you start getting into the higher range, like 10, uh, usually you're going to start having a lot of side effects in localized irritation. Right. Things like so that. So increased side effects, maybe not increased efficacy. Right. And if you wanted, um, there are combinations of a lot of these topicals, um, specifically the retinoids and benzoyl peroxide, also the retinoids and the um, topical antibiotics. So if you wanted to do adapalene 0.3% and benzoyl peroxide 2.5% gel, you said? Yes. So that'd be Epiduoforte gel would be the brand name for that. Um, so you just... Uh, Give them one, and they're taken care of. Or you could do a separate. It's whatever, probably a, a price thing at that point. But Yeah, and, and the other thing to consider, too, um, would be there's topical antibiotics that you can give other than just the benzoyl peroxide. Um, and so because the patient has a lot of inflammation, uh, you may not want to add on two separate medications, but there, it may actually call for that if the, if the inflammation was, uh, was bad enough. Um, and so there's a study that they looked at the combination of clindamycin with benzoyl peroxide and uh, it was seen to be um, more effective when it was, com- excuse me, the clindamycin was more effective when it was com- combined with benzoyl peroxide or with a retinoid. Um, and in theory, you could use all three mm-hmm. um, as long as you're monitoring first side effects and uh, any kind of irritation or anything like that. Um, and then the clindamycin would probably enhance the effect of the benzoyl peroxide and clindamycin sometimes used even for like spot treatment. Right. Um, and so where retinoids are only going to be used to like cover the entire area, um, benzoyl peroxide or excuse me, clindamycin can be used as spot treatment and they make a very nice, uh, combination product called benzoclin, uh, which is the combination of benzoyl peroxide and clindamycin. Mm-hmm. So that'd be another option for a, a combination if you want to do it that way. Um, but yeah, clindamycin is going to be probably the most common topical antibiotic. There is also erythromycin. Mm-hmm. If I had to choose, I'd probably go with clinda. Yeah. Um, apparently, there's some resistance to P. acnes with erythromycin. So um, clindamycin is probably going to be the more common one. People will also use uh, topical salicylic acid. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty common in the over-the-counter products. But the evidence for that is really limited. It kind of just dries out your skin. So I'd probably stick with benzoyl peroxide and then... Um, 
uh, the uh, prescription ones if, if somebody comes in asking for those. Um, and before you move on to something else, you, you can really do a lot of combinations of all three of these topicals we talked about, the antibiotics, the retinoids, the benzoyl peroxides, um, for an extended period, uh, really give it time to see if it works before you move on to what we're about to talk about, which would be, um, you know, the, the oral antibiotics or um, even the tretinoin, so. Yeah. Um, also, too, just to throw this in there because I forgot to mention it, but the retinoids, um, especially tretinoin in particular, uh, was, is very susceptible to UV light. And so they're typically told to apply at nighttime. Um, adapalene is the most resistant as far as the UV of all the retinoids. So there are people that will put on adapalene during the day. Um, so, but if this patient was going to be started on benzoclin uh, and continue with the adapalene, I would use the clindamycin and benzoyl peroxide combination in the morning, and then at night uh, I would use the the uh, adapalene. Um, also, too, before we could jump into systemic antibiotics, there are two others: uh, Dapsone, mm-hmm. um, Axone, I believe, is a brand name. Yeah. Um, there, that's approved for both inflammatory and non-inflammatory lesions. Um, comes as a 5% that can be used twice a day, and then 7.5% now uh, that's used once daily. Um, Dapsone is a sulfone. It's not a sulfonamide. And so it's not contraindicated in patients that have a sulfa allergy, especially when that sulfa allergy is referring to uh, Bactrim. So if it's a sulfonamide, um, then the sulfone will not affect the uh, it will not trigger that same allergic reaction, so they can still use it. Um, do you know though that if you use it along with benzoyl peroxide, it can cause a temporary yellowing or orange discoloration of the skin? Um, and the other topical that we didn't mention was uh, azelaic acid. Mm-hmm. Um, that's also approved for you know, like antimicrobial mm-hmm. comedonal uh, comedone, comedonal acid. There you go. That's the word <laughs> I'm looking for. Can't talk anymore. <laughs> 20 minute after 20 the 20 minute mark I'm done <laughs> right and then uh, it has some mild anti-inflammatory properties um, and then azelaic acid is also used in uh, I think it is a 15 percent formulation um, in rosacea as well but those are the uh, all the extensive topical treatments at least that I'm familiar with yeah I, I did come across one more the um, sodium sulfacetamide oh, yes sulfacetamide is one sulfur. other option right the yes, sulfur the cleanser um, wash thing cleanser right so um, some people use that in rosacea also um, mm-hmm. can also be used in acne and uh, yeah so that would be I think all the options for topicals yeah and if somebody is looking for uh, something to wash their face with there are actually good options that you should you should consider um in fact there was a really small it was a tiny tiny study so this is probably not even good to quote this but i'm gonna do it anyway um it was a four week long study uh, and patients were given a synthetic detergent bar uh, which was actually um a dove sensitive skin that was the the soap they were testing versus what they just referred to as soap so I don't know what that is, what that was, what brand <laughs> that was, but it was just soap. It was the off brand, right? And uh, the patients that had used the Dove Sensitive did have uh, better control um, and then less dryness, less irritation than those who use the off brand soap. <laughs> um, so it's a really small study. Um, so if you are going to use a like a moisturizer or cleanser, um, I would definitely use one that is made specifically for. Uh, issues with like dry skin or irritated skin or something like that. Yeah. So like Cetaphil, um, if you need a moisturizer, there's Aquaphor. 
Um, there's a Vino makes one. There's a, there's a couple different ones. Actually, I put a post up, depending on when you hear this podcast. Plug. Yeah, plug in it. Um, there's a post on Instagram and Facebook and maybe Twitter uh, that has a list of all the different moisturizers and cleansers and things that uh, are available that can help with uh, not just things like acne, but also like atopic dermatitis, psoriasis, things like that. Yeah, and if um, Avino or Dove is looking for some extra, yeah. you know, advertising, just let us know. A couple basically models <laughs> right. to model their soap applying yeah, skills. close both your eyes and, yeah. and we look great. <laughs> Anyways, uh, those are all options for what would be considered mild acne. Um, if it's resistant or, you know, some people have very severe cases of acne, that's when you would get into... Um, some options that we would consider, you know, further down the line, which uh, one of which being oral antibiotics, which we talked about. Um, tetracyclines are generally used. Doxycycline is really the most common. Um, you could also use um, tetracycline or minocycline, but really, if you were going to do it, doxycycline is what is what is uh, preferred. Um, as far as length of treatment. Um, you know, you can look at this from an antimicrobial stewardship point of view and really question whether or not you want to do that. You know, it's very patient specific. Um, but if you're going to, the recommendation is to really try to keep it to two to three months max. Uh, it's not really a long-term solution. And the idea is obviously to um, decrease the amount of P. acnes on the skin available to uh, be turned into a comedone or a pustule. And the other thing, uh, so as far as minocycline, um, there is a brand name, um, Solidine, that is starting to be used a lot more, and it's like an extended release um, version of minocycline. Um, that one's approved specifically for acne, and there's all kinds of various strengths of it that it comes in. Uh, I believe, I want to say that it maybe has a generic coming out soon, or maybe already has. I don't know. Don't quote me on that part, but... Um, Solidine and it's minocycline extended release and it's just used once a day. Um, so that one I'm starting to see more. I think Valiant's been pushing that. If I recall, that's their their one of their drugs. Hmm. Um, so they've been pushing that one, but it is it's super expensive. So yeah. make sure you get a. Uh, and, and Doxy's not particularly cheap anymore either. Yeah, that's so. true. Um, and so, like, if you are worried about resistance now, uh, doxycycline does have a version that's considered um, non-antimicrobial dosing. Um, and they, so it comes as a 20 milligram capsule. And then also, uh, they have a, a 40 milligram capsule as well. The 40 milligrams once a day. Um, and it's a combination of like immediate release and extended release doxy. I think it's like three to one extended. Um, uh, so 30 milligrams of extended and one milligram of immediate release, I believe don't, uh, it might be the other way around, but, uh, the other version, the 20 milligrams you can use twice a day. Um, and it's, low enough dose where you're not getting antimicrobial uh, properties out of it, but you are reducing the inflammation that's right. seen in acne vulgaris specifically. Right. So you wouldn't treat a staph infection with it, obviously, but uh, it can reduce, supposedly, I don't know that the trials and the evidence is actually played out to prove that, uh, but in theory, it would potentially uh, reduce the risk of having resistance or causing resistance. Right. And like you said, it's it's considered sub-antimicrobial. If you wanted the antimicrobial dosing, um, generally reserve this for patients who are over eight years old because of the concern for tooth discoloration, which I think was more um, considerable with tetracycline, not so much doxy, but yeah. either way, just to be safe. And um, over 100 pounds, you could do 50 to 100 milligrams once or twice a day, and that's what people would use um, 
if you wanted the antimicrobial benefit from it. So to mention the uh, the doxy thing, uh, this always sticks in my mind because I was, so for those of you who, who are not in the Charleston area, uh, one of my buddies and somebody I consider a mentor still is uh, Dr. Scott Bragg from uh, family medicine around here. Um, he, I was on his rotation and I was pretty nervous. He's a super smart dude. And uh, he asked me a question about Lyme disease in a child. And I was so pumped because I thought I knew the answer. And I was like, can't use doxycycline. You got to use, uh, I figure I said cephalosporin or something because can't use doxycycline when they're younger than eight. And then he whipped out like three articles, three review studies that showed me that where they've used it in younger children because it was more associated with tetracycline. And then I was like, crap, back to the drawing board. <laughs> but uh, no, it's good. For, that always sticks with me for some reason. But um, so don't don't uh, put Doxy out just because of the age thing. There is some evidence to the contrary. And then hopefully we'll get Dr. Scott Bragg on the uh, podcast here pretty soon. Right. I know he listens every once in a while. But so. don't blame us if there's any teeth discoloration. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're your just own blame. clinician. Yeah. But blame. if you do want a little bit of trivia, um, of antibiotic trivia, Pretty much, if you have any tick-borne illness, um, you can use Doxy, and it's effective. So Lyme disease, uh, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, all sorts of stuff. So if, if uh, your preceptor or somebody ever asks you that, you can default to Doxy, and then if you're wrong, I mean, you've got like a 90% chance of getting that right. So, so boom. Yep, there you go. There you go. You're welcome. <laughs> so the last thing that we definitely need to discuss is isotretinoin which yes. is a oral retinoid uh, that is saved for really, really severe cases of acne. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason for it being kind of uh, safe to the last is, one, there's a ton of side effects with it. So the patient can have really, really sensitive skin, especially when they first start it. Uh, you get horribly chapped lips. If you get like a cut on your skin and you're on the face or anything like that, it'll scab over and turn. It almost looks like ampetago or something because um, I've actually experienced this myself. Um, I was on uh, Accutane for a few months. Um, worked great for the acne, but that first few months was rough. <laughs> and um, the other thing is, is it can cause really bad birth defects mm-hmm. in children. Very teratogenic. And so when the product was on the market, they had to associate a REMS program with it, and uh, it's called iPledge. And so the prescriber, I think typically it's, it's only dermatologists that will prescribe this. Uh, they have to be registered with iPledge, uh, have the patient registered with iPledge. And then every time they go to get a new prescription, um, they have to, if it's a female, have to get a pregnancy test. Uh, and then they have to make a commitment to at least two, at least it was when I looked at it last, but at least two forms of birth control, whether mm-hmm. that's like an oral contraceptive medication, yep. um, abstinence, uh, it can be condoms or whatever it is. Um, but they have to commit and sign that they're going to uh, use some sort of a birth control so that they can avoid pregnancy. Right. Um, and then they have, they're given their own iPledge number. And then when they get the prescription from the pharmacy, or the, pharma- the pharmacist receives the prescription, they have to take that iPledge number, go into the iPledge system themselves, who they're also registered with, and then verify that the patient has done all those uh, criteria and that the dermatologist has done their portion. And then they're allowed to dispense it. And it has to be picked up uh, within seven days? Yeah, seven, I think. Seven days, um, or they have to go back and get another prescription. Right, and I think another pregnancy test, potentially. Probably. So, yeah, it's it's, it's a process. Pretty intense. um, So, you you would definitely want to save that for very severe cases, or if you're worried about, like, really severe scarring. Right. If the lesions are bad enough. So, you definitely would want to save that, though, kind of a last line. Um, You don't 
you know, jump to that one. Right. And just so you know, REMS is a uh, program that the FDA puts forward for specific medications. It can be to varying degrees. Sometimes you just have to give out a med guide for a medication. Obviously, this one's pretty intense. Uh, it stands for Risk Evaluation and Mitigation Strategies. Um, but yeah, so this one is I pledge. Yes. And there's also, we should mention, um, just lastly, you could use spironolactone is another option that some people try. Um, it's an aldosterone antagonist, so obviously would um, decrease the um, androgenic content of your body, I guess. Also, potassium-sparing diuretic, so you'd have to be uh, aware of that. But um, some people do try that um, kind of as a last line. They'll use 50 to 100 milligrams. Um, they'll keep it to about 6 to 12 months for acne. But uh, that's another thing you can try for resistant patients. And they, they usually use that only in females, right? Yes, they only use that in females. Yeah. So they're obviously the anti-androgenic effect in males, um, especially of adolescents, could cause some issues. There's a risk for gynecomastia, um, those sorts of things. So, yeah, females. Um, the last thing to mention, too, is she is on uh, her birth control called uh, Lavora, um, Levonorgestrel. That is actually one of the most androgenic progesterones that you can put in into an oral contraceptive. So uh, that's not helping the situation either. So if you were to consider switching that to maybe help the, the process along, that may be a good option. Um, Drospirinone is a uh, non-androgenic uh, progesterone. Um, so like Yaz, Yasmin, um, some of those brand names are uh, a, good, a very good option because the drospirinone can help reduce some of that sebum production because you're not getting that same androgenic activity. Yeah, and I guess in general, more progestinic content is better. Less estrogenic content um, is better as far as androgenic content goes, or risk well, of acne. Is that what I it is? I think it's if it's uh, no, if it's a if the and if the progesterone component is has high androgenic activity, okay. switch to a non-androgenic gotcha. progesterone. Gotcha. If you're dealing with with sebum production, right, um, okay. or or lower the dose at least of the progesterone component. Makes sense. So, I think, and either that, there's some dermatologist right now listening, just screaming. Let at us me. know. Just screaming at me. Yeah, you cor idiot. correct us. That's fine. All right. Anything else for this patient? That's all the big stuff that I could think of, for sure. They don't have any other comorbidities or anything, do they? Mm -mm. Just acne. Nope. Just acne. Yeah. Which is good because you're only 18. Yeah. <laughs> He's a kid. Got a little while to go. Yeah. Got a while before you start getting all those com comorbidities. <laughs> good deal. That was that was good. I'm I'm glad we did that one. Um, yeah. Sorry it's been so long since we posted a uh, podcast. It hasn't been that long since we recorded. Yeah. Just since we posted. Just since we posted <laughs> the lost episode. <laughs> took up some time and then I went on vacation. Didn't didn't get any work done. So he, he was, need he needs a break. That was Mike a works hard. I don't know. I fake it. <laughs> All right. Let us know if you have any questions, concerns, comments. Uh, you can reach us on basically all social media platforms. Uh, check out the podcast on various uh, podcasting networks and also the video version on Facebook and YouTube. Um, you can email me directly if you want at mcorvino at coreconsultrx.com um, or send us a direct message on any of the social media platforms. I'll get back to you as soon as I can. And uh, also check out the Alexa flash briefing, which is currently down, and I'm trying to figure out how to fix it. She heard Alexa, and she, she responds. Alexa, <laughs> Alexa, no. Amazon's got the voice uh, response going on. Flash briefing. Stop. So, yeah. Alexa, down. Alexa, stop talking. 
So check out the Core Consult RX uh, flash briefing once that's up and running again. So hopefully that will be up in, uh, by the next couple days or so. Uh, thank you all for listening, and please reach out to us if you have any questions. If you do enjoy the podcast, uh, please subscribe. It would mean a lot to us. If you watch the videos, subscribe on YouTube. And then um, if you have any comments to leave, we would definitely appreciate those as well, or a rating. Um, also helps us out. And if you have any feedback, we are all ears and definitely want to improve. So thanks for your time, and we will see you next episode.